Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these songs that were written so many thousands of years ago that we can still read and learn from today. We pray that you would help us to listen, take what's being prepared and use it. And I pray that anything that's unhelpful would be forgotten. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love this psalm. It's great in the summertime because we get to choose a psalm to preach on, so you get your favourite psalm. It's fabulous. And I do love this psalm 121. But what we're going to be thinking about tonight is, I wonder what we put our trust in. What do we turn to when things go wrong? Or when we need help or advice? What do we do if life suddenly throws us a bit of a curveball and we're kind of like going, help, it's a bit tricky or difficult? And before you just switch off now and assume that this is going to be another one of those sermons about you don't trust the world, you trust God, well, you're right, but I've discovered that quite often in my life, prayer isn't the first thing I go to, because Google is there. Or I go to books, I like books. Or I go to advice from others. And I suspect I'm not the only one. Because we live in an age, don't we, where we're bombarded by improvement and self-help information. And we can find it in books or magazines, websites, podcasts, YouTube channels, apparently, not that I've discovered, radio programs, TV, everything. The list is just endless. It goes on and on, doesn't it? And that's before you start on the helpful advice from your friends and your family. And as we read this psalm, it would appear that this isn't a new problem. Because it would seem that its writer had had similar issues. Not with Google, obviously. But this is obviously not just a 21st century problem. It seems to be a key part of our human nature to look to other things rather than God first. And what I hope we're going to see in this psalm is that we have a God who is utterly trustworthy. He's utterly reliable. And he can help us when no one else can So hopefully we'll get some confidence, renewed confidence in this God that we've been praying to and singing about already this evening. So let's look at the setting for this psalm. Psalm 121 is one of the songs of ascent, and there are 15 of them in the book of Psalms. Now they seem to have been sung by pilgrims who were travelling up to Jerusalem. Um, They may well have been sung in sequence um, as the journey progressed. So there's sort of a picture of a journey. And faithful, observant Jews at that time would probably have gone to Jerusalem around three times every year. So they'd have left their homes and their businesses and gone with their families and possessions, luggage, up to Jerusalem, which was the highest city in the land, to worship at the temple. They went on pilgrimage. And so these songs of ascents were sung as they literally ascended to Jerusalem through the mountains. But they're also, of course, picture language, aren't they? They catch the idea of traveling up to God, ascending to God, of this life lived as pilgrimage, with God and to God. So in other words, they form a picture of a faith journey that we can still relate to today. And these songs, the one, the 15 that are written in the book of Psalms, are intended to be used and sung and as companions on the journey, if you like. 
And Eugene Peterson wrote a great book, which I've taken some of this from, and he calls this journey a long obedience in the same direction. That's a great book. If you want a summer read, it's, it's really good. I recommend it. But I'd also recommend becoming familiar with these psalms. Because after all, the God they talk about hasn't changed. And neither, would it seem, has human nature. So they're a good reminder to us that God is God and that we're not. But we'll come back to that a bit later on. So first one asks us a question. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And the mountains that surround the road to Jerusalem are high, and they would have seemed very immovable, very permanent, really indestructible to those pilgrims who were walking through them. And there's something very stirring about mountains, isn't there? The size of them, the grandeur, the sense of perspective that can be gained, not just about ourselves, but about our lives as we climb higher. As we walked up Lancathra on Easter Monday, it was lovely just to get this sense of peace. The higher we got, the less we could hear the noise of the road. And suddenly God felt closer, and life became a bit more in perspective, which was good. You do somehow feel closer to God in the mountains and on the beach, but that's not relevant for today. And there's a sense of otherness about them, isn't there? And we know that they've been inspirational to artists and poets and musicians and songwriters down through many centuries. This is not something new. But the problem for these Jewish pilgrims was that the mountains were also where the pagan shrines were situated. They had been put on the high places up in the mountains, and they would have been visible to these travellers as they passed by in the valley. And they were there to entice weary, frightened travellers to come up and make offerings for safe travel, or for good weather, or for protection from illness, or no blisters, that sort of thing. But they were completely pagan. They used temple prostitutes. They sacrificed to gods Baal and Asherah. They offered protection, yes, but from sun gods and moon gods, and it was for the right price. They sold amulets and they sold magic formulae and other knickknacks to go with them. It's a bit like when we drive up the M6 or wherever and you see all the service stations on the side, only these were offering things that would protect you. They were offering other gods, other ways of living. And they were numerous. And they were utterly opposed to everything that God stood for, the God of Israel. They'd caused the downfall of many of Israel's kings. If you look through the books of 1 and 2 Kings in the Old Testament, there's just a litany of failure. It would say, and -and so-and-so did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he was replaced by his son who did evil in the sight of the Lord, and so on. And it was often due to these false gods, these pagan gods, that they insisted on worshipping and getting caught up with. The problem was they were a constant source of temptation because they offered a quick fix. And so the answer to our question in verse 1, where does my help come from? Well, it's not the mountains. Verse 2 has the answer. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In the end, our help can only come from the person who made the mountains, the one who created it. Because in the end, mountains 
are just mountains, aren't they? They're very large lumps of rock. And so the best place to find our help is from the one who made them, the one who created what we see. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 23, puts it like this. Surely the idolatrous commotion on the hills and the mountains is a deception. Surely in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. Don't look to the mountains, look to God. Everything else is a distraction, he's saying. But of course, that's not to make light of the situation the pilgrims might have found themselves in, because those were dangerous times. They didn't have sat-nav, they didn't have streetlights, they didn't have Gore-Tex to help them get off, you know, protect them from the worst of the weather. They were dangerous roads. They were long, tiring journeys on foot or on camels or other you know, donkeys, things like that. There was always a threat of robbery, of injury. There was fear of losing children or getting lost. And we know from the New Testament that Mary and Joseph lost Jesus when they went up to the temple one time. It happened. So life in those days was not easy, and the terrain was tough. And so verse 3 acknowledges that. It says, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. So even though things are tough, this psalm puts it in the context of God's amazing grace to us and to his people then and his enduring love and care. Because although they might be facing trouble and it might be really tricky and they might be just about to get jumped on by some robbers or whatever, God is never going to leave them on their own. And the rest of the psalm focuses on the fact that the God they worship is the one who made not only the mountains, but the sun and the moon and all of creation. So they don't need sun gods or moon gods to help them. It reminds them that unlike some of the pagan deities that they're tempted to worship, God does not need to be woken up. He doesn't fall asleep. He doesn't get distracted. He never stops watching over them. There's a great story, I think it's in Two Kings, of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And they're having a bit of a competition between the prophets of Baal and God to see whose God is the more powerful. And Elijah gets a bit fed up because the prophets of Baal are taking an awfully long time to win. And he says, perhaps your God's gone to sleep. Perhaps you need to wake him up. Perhaps he's gone off on holiday. Perhaps he's, you know, gone off for a bit. The point here is that the God of Israel will never do that. He never stops watching over them and taking care of them. In fact, this God who created time is watching over every aspect of their lives. And he has been ever since they were born, and he will be for as long as they're alive. He's a caring God. So he's totally unlike the gods that they are tempted to go and worship up on the hills. The God of Israel doesn't have to be visited like that. He doesn't have to be paid. He doesn't have to be pandered to. Because their God promises to watch over them, to be their constant companion. He's going to travel with them. He surrounds them. He protects them. He's going to be fighting for them. And he certainly won't get bored of them. He won't lose interest. He won't go off on holiday. And he won't fall asleep. Now, we said earlier that God hasn't changed. And neither has human nature. And so that's why this psalm is as relevant today as it ever was. Now, you and I may not go on many actual pilgrimages, although 
there's a resurgence in that at the moment, which is, is quite interesting. It's something, it might be something to think about. But a life lived for God can be seen as one of constant pilgrimage, can't it? We're all living and learning. We're all walking towards um, our final encounter with Jesus himself. We're all trying to learn more about him, to love him more. And I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that along that journey, we're not exempt from trouble. It's not always a smooth ride, is it? I think probably one of the problems is that we can lose touch with the sense that God is with us constantly, that his grace is available to us at all times. I think I know that I can get so caught up sometimes in the mundane, in the busyness, in all the noise and the distraction. I can lose sense of traveling through life with God. There's so much out there, isn't there? Check your phone, check the internet, check whatever. And that's why it's really, really easy to get sidetracked by all the help that is out there, rather than focusing on the one who's right next to us, who wants to help us more than anybody else. In other words, we, we too easily look up to those mountains for help, the things that surround us for help. And the problem we, is that, certainly for me, the more I do it, the easier it gets, because it becomes a habit, doesn't it? Now, I'm not saying that a lot of the information that's out there isn't really good. There's some great, help, great um, helpful websites, great books, and all the rest of it. But if we go to that first, and we don't trust God, then it's often not helpful. When the reverse is true, that actually, if we pray, he may well direct us towards something like that, or a book or website or whatever. But it's important that we don't substitute God's wisdom for human wisdom. It seems mad, doesn't it? When we've got all of the riches of Christ Jesus available to us through God, and we go to other things, I go to other things, bit mad. So in other words, the shrines that tempted the Jewish pilgrims are still there tempting us today. They just look a bit different. So I think one of the key things for us to remember is that Psalm 121 makes it quite clear that God will never tire of watching over us or of caring for his creation, caring for you and me. He made you, he loves you, he knows you and he wants to care for you. So be assured that you will never bore God. He won't get distracted by something or someone who's more interesting. He promises to walk with us through the storms and through the difficulties. He may not remove you from them, but he does promise you, promise to protect you while you travel. So this means that our lives don't have to be defined by the problems that we face or the troubles that we encounter, but by the God who walks with us. This God who says, I am your shepherd. I will walk with you through the valley of the shadow. This God is totally faithful all the time. He's loving and he's caring. He's our personal companion and guide. And he's interested in every single aspect of our lives. If you just stop and think about that for a moment, the God who made the world with all the beauty that we see in it and the 
Himalaya mountains and all the rest of it, and the deepest oceans, cares about you and every aspect of your life. That's quite remarkable. Something to think about a bit more. And one of the most remarkable things about God is that he didn't just care from afar. He chose to become Emmanuel, God with us. Because what we know that those first pilgrims didn't is that God was so invested in his creation, he was willing to let his son come and live amongst us. God really did become human. In Jesus, he lived in a family, grew up as part of the family, grew up as a child into adulthood in Roman-occupied first-century Palestine. It wasn't easy. And so he's uniquely placed to understand exactly what it's like to be us, to be the humans that we are, to struggle when we get tired, when we fall out with a family member, whenever anything happens, things like that, that just are part of normal life. He cares about us more than we could ever imagine. He even allowed his son to die for us. And as you read on through the New Testament, you see there are plenty of promises that Jesus promises never to leave us, he promises never to forget us, He promises that nothing can separate us from his love. He promises that he's preparing a place for us where eventually we can be with him forever. And so going back to the pilgrim theme, if we're living our lives as pilgrims with God as our companion, our days are full then, aren't they, of opportunities to experience God's love and his grace every day of our lives. Because God has poured out his love and his grace to us through Jesus. It's not some remote religion. It's not something that we have to follow rules for. It's a personal relationship. And so our faith in God can be rooted in the solid reliability of the God we worship. So this faith we've got isn't in any way flimsy or precarious. Eugene Peterson, again, he says in in that book, that our faith is the solid, massive, secure experience of God who guards our life, who guards us when we leave and when we return, who guards us now, who guards us always. So that's the faith we've got. That's the God we worship. That's the God we've been singing about today. And it's all possible because of this grace that's poured out to us through Jesus So as we come into land, I have an early finish tonight, I want to read you a poem by a man called Gerard Kelly, who's a Christian, and he heads up something called the Blessed Network. And he talks about this grace that follows us through our lives, follows us on our pilgrimage. Um, So it goes like this, and it's going to be on the screens as well. You can see see that? This grace. This grace we have been given is enough. And the mountains set before us won't move by faith until by faith we start to climb. It is enough. When our cry for heaven's miracles rings hollow like a doorbell howling through an empty house, it is enough. When from the wheelchairs of our weakness we say yes to pressing on, it is enough. When we've reached the end of our energies, and face the end of ourselves, but can't yet see the end of our task, it is enough. Enough to know that you have loved us, 
Enough that we were called before all time. Enough that every fingerprint is valued. Enough that you remember every name. And so we will embrace this grace and turn our hearts to face grace, loosening the locks on our personal space. We will make each home a place of grace. We will drink from your wells till we're wasted on grace. We'll speak out your words till our tongues taste of grace. And we'll live to love your laws until our lives are laced with grace. Down dark and dingy alleys, we will chase grace. We will hold as something precious every trace of grace. We will celebrate and consecrate this grace because this grace we have been given is enough. So as we walk this journey with our Lord and our God, through the tough times, through the joyful times, we have this grace that, walk, that goes with us through Jesus that is enough for everything we need. And that's the message of Psalm 121. So let's take a moment to pray. In a moment, we'll stand and listen. But I was thinking before about how we can apply this to ourselves. And I think sometimes we need to ask forgiveness for the times that we look to something other than God for our help. We look to books or whatever it is as our first resort. We get distracted far too easily. And I want to pray for us tonight that we would be much, much more aware of God with us, the Holy Spirit nudging us day by day, walking with him, more alert to the voice of the Spirit, making him, Jesus, our first port, point of contact, not our last. So can I invite you to stand? And we're just going to spend some time waiting on the Lord. Father God, we thank you that you watch over our coming and going, both now and forevermore. Thank you that you walk with us. Thank you that you embrace us, that you carry us when needed. Thank you that you are able to face any storm with us. You're right there in it with us. And Lord, we just want to ask for your forgiveness tonight for the times when we've not trusted you, when we've put other things first. For the times we've got distracted. And we've, for the times when it looks like the world has given us better advice than you could. We're sorry, Lord, that we get it wrong. We just pray now, Lord Jesus, that you would help us, each one of us, to be much more alert to your voice, to the nudges of the Holy Spirit, to your presence with us. Thank you that you are our guardian. Let's just listen for a minute.